I am really excited about sharing with you what the Lord put on my heart. Can we just, um, well, first of all, just turn to 2 Timothy with me. You can go ahead and, and get there, and I'll just set it up for you. Um, you know, we've been in a series right now about the trial of your faith. Has anyone been enjoying this series? <laughs> you would think, well, that's an interesting title to enjoy, right? But it has been so life-giving. And I know that I am seeing new things that I have never seen before and just been so grateful to the Lord. You know, don't you think that already in 2022 that we have seen, uh, even in this church, things become better than ever? In the revelation, we were not getting this kind of revelation a year ago. And we have grown and you guys have become, have come up so much that you are now uh, receiving to the point where the utterance is being affected. That's awesome. Did you know that, that the utterance or what comes out in a service is so greatly affected by your ability to hear? And you know, the Bible tells us so often that there's, there's so many times that people hear the word, but they don't really hear the word. Or they see something, but they don't really see it. Or they try to understand something, but they don't understand it. This week as a staff in our prayer team, we pray that all of us in this room would have ears that hear that our ears would be blessed, that our eyes would be open and our heart would, be under, would understand. Now, do you agree with that this morning? I'm expecting to see as we go this morning so much good revelation from the Lord. And I know you are too. But I have been praying this week, thinking about the concept and this thing called suffering. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand suffering. They think that, you know, you could be talking about anything that feels like suffering in life. But we have been really specific, specifically focusing on the sufferings shared in, with Christ. The sufferings like the suffering of persecution, the suffering of submission. Mm, favorite, right? And the suffering of, anybody tell me? resisting, resistance, resisting the devil. And all these things can feel like suffering on the flesh. But as I prayed this week, all I could think about was a, a book of the Bible, a, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy that is full of suffering. Wow, is this gonna be exciting this morning? And it is the book of 2 Timothy. And if you, if you want a little background here, wow, this book is so full. I mean, let me just read you a few. I want to read you just a few things that Paul says to Timothy. He says in verse 8, Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. In chapter 3, verse 10, it says, uh, You've carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions. If you go to verse 12, it says, Yes, and all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
If you look over into, um, uh, let's see here, chapter four, verse 17, Paul is saying again, the Lord has stood with me and he strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me, that the Gentiles might hear. In verse 18, the Lord will deliver me out of every work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. All this whole chapter is so full of so many of these concepts. We see Timothy here, uh, just starting out in the beginning, he is struggling big time. And what's happened here is Paul has been thrown in prison. And, you know, think about it. This is his father in the faith. Can you think about your father in the faith, someone that you've received from your whole life, being thrown in prison, He's being accused unjustly of something that he didn't do, a fire that was started. And um, there's an evil Roman emperor that is persecuting Christians. And Timothy is the pastor, has been set over the church of Ephesus. And this church has grown so huge. He's probably been the pastor for about four years at this time. And he was in ministry for many years before that with Paul. He traveled all over with Paul. He saw miracles. He saw God move. He's grown up knowing God. He's seen the faithfulness of God. And he's watched, um, he's watched his father in the faith now been taken and put in prison. And he is now um, starting to feel, well, you could just say he's afraid. He has been in ministry for this long, but he's never faced the trial of his faith like he's facing in this moment now. And I thought about this and how much I could identify with this. Jeremy and I have been in ministry for probably as long as Timothy has been in at this point in his life. And at this point, um, he's maybe been through some things, seen things, seen God come through for him time and time again, but he's now facing maybe the biggest trial of his life. And so we start out with verse one and it says this, Paul is writing to him, and Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to, th- to Timothy, a beloved son. And you've got to think about this. Timothy is family to him. And Paul at some point, history tell us, tells us that Paul went to Timothy's hometown of Lystra. Might not be saying that right. He went to his hometown and he preached the gospel. We're pretty sure that Paul and his family heard the gospel for the first time and received Jesus. Received him, saw the light for the first time. And this is how precious they are to each other. Then traveling in ministry, he is, he is the beloved son. Grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. So apparently from this, we see that Timothy has written Paul and he is upset. He is very scared for his life. You know, a lot of things were happening in this time to Paul, in, I mean, to Timothy in the church. Um, many people were leaving the church. We have, we, we can, we hear from history that possibly this church was, had grown to the size of 100,000 people, 
even more than that. This is a very large church. And now that Christians are being persecuted, not to mention all the other things that Paul has to deal with in a church of 100,000, now that Christians are being persecuted, people are starting to leave the church. They're leaving, they're, they're going, they're talking bad about Timothy. And isn't it interesting that oftentimes when things go wrong, people don't usually like to take responsibility for themselves. They like to blame the leader. So Timothy's already facing hardship. He's already facing people coming against him, talking negatively about him. Don't you, don't you see how the enemy, he still works the same today. He still has the same operations. And so what happens here is, Paul sees that he has tears. Some people think that that the letters that uh, Timothy would write Paul grieving and being upset and heartbroken and hurting and being afraid, there was actually teardrops on the parchment of paper. And so it was either that or Paul could sense through his words, through the spirit of the letter, or even from the Lord, what Timothy was facing. And it says this, um, I'm greatly desiring to see you, Timothy, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it is in you also. The phrase, I put thee in remembrance, is taken from the Greek words to regather or recollect memories. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to take a moment. I want you to stop and I want you to remember. I want you to use your memory and stir up the gift that is in you. I want you to go back and I want you to remember how God has been faithful to your family. I want you to remember how your mom was with God, her relationship with the Lord, how she had a genuine faith and she proved him over and over and over and time again. I want you to remember your grandmother when, I, when, when God came through for her and how she trusted in him. Timothy, don't you remember that your family has a history with God? Don't you remember the things that he's done for you? Stir up, recollect, remember the good things that God has done for you. And it put in remembrance. He says, I put you in remembrance, the genuine faith. Remember what's in you, what's already been put in you. Remember the history that I have and the legacy that you have, your family. It says this in verse six, therefore I remind you, to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Do you remember when I laid hands on you and separated you into the call? Do you remember when God himself called you out, called you to be a pastor to his church? Do you remember that he chose you and ordained you when he could have chose others? He called you. Do you remember his love for you? Do you remember? Stir up the gift. Now, as I study this, you know, I have heard Jeremy talk about this. It's ministered to me so much. But the word stir up comes from a Greek word that really has the the idea of fire behind it. Fire. And I thought about one translation in 1 Timothy 2, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 1.6. It says this, the new living, fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you. 
It also says this in the um, New American Standard Bible, says kindle afresh or rekindle the gift that is in you. This Greek word is, is uh, it's, it's pronounced anazopereo, and it is the same root as the English word uh, pyre or pyrotechnic or uh, pyromania, pyromaniac. What is that? Someone who suffers uh, from the, the issues they can't resist starting a fire. <laughs> Do I have any pyromaniacs in this room? Okay. You should say yes. I mean, kind of. Wait, this is getting weird. Okay. So this, this word, um, it means to keep in full flame. It means really this, if you put it all together, do whatever you have to do to put life back in your fire again. Woo! Do whatever you have to do to put life back in your fire again. What does that mean? He's telling Timothy, you're not going to make it. You're going to burn out unless you put life in the fire again. What is that word burnout? We hear this all the time. People are saying, oh, I'm so burnout. I'm, so, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm in burnout. Well, what is that? Burnout is when the fire's gone out. And a lot of people use this term for their work or their job, and they say, well, I'm, I'm emotionally exhausted. Or maybe you're in school and you've been taking tests nonstop. I am burnt out. I, don't, I can't do it anymore. I'm tired. My, I've lost all my enthusiasm. I have lost the fire. The fire's gone out. That's burnout. And Paul is telling Timothy, listen, Timothy, you got to stir it up. You have got to put, do everything you can do to put life in the fire again. Do everything you can do. So as I thought about this, I realized the things that fuel the fire. You know, it takes three things to build a good fire. You need fuel, you need oxygen, and you need heat. Fuel, oxygen, and heat. I know some of these guys over here, they're looking at me, they're smiling. They like to build fires, I know. Like to go camping, all you people up in the mountains, we like to camp, right? So, amen, amen, heard that over there. So, <laughs> to stir up. Now, as I prayed about this, I kept hearing this word over and over. You've heard people say, you know, when you're building a fire, you like to kindle it. You want to kindle the flame, you want to use kindling to kindle the flame. But I kept hearing the Lord say, Sarah, it's not kindle, it's rekindle. I thought, okay, rekindle. So I began to think about and research what rekindle is. Listen to this. The word rekindle is a dirty word in the fire service. Rekindle is a term used by firefighters to describe a blaze that reignites after they leave a scene. This is like what they don't want, okay? This is what the enemy does not want. He does not want you to rekindle the fire. 
Okay, so it says, it describes a situation where after salvage and the overhaul have been completed and a blaze is officially declared extinguished, firefighters have to go, go back to the, fire, the firehouse and then are later called back to the burning building to fight again into the reignited fire. Sometimes the second fire is much larger than the first fire. Woo! Okay, so some of you people, that we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that have been through the fire this year, this past year. We have talked about what the Bible says. I'm going to read you this scripture again. This is part of our series that we're in. But the Bible tells us in 1 Peter, it says this, 1 Peter 1.7, that the genuineness of your faith, King James Version says this, the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what have we been learning? That when gold goes in the fire, if it's the real deal, if it's not a counterfeit, then when it comes out of the fire, it's brighter than it was before. And so we've gotten a word from the Lord that we're coming out brighter. We're coming out better than ever this year. And so as we, as we look at this, this, this to rekindle, what does it mean to rekindle the flame? You need these three things. You need fuel. And what is that fuel? That fuel, somebody said gasoline over here. No, you know, let's talk about it. Let's look at it spiritually. Okay. Um, this fuel, number one, you need the word of God. Do you know what I found out is that when people go, and all you campers can tell me if this is true, when you go camping and you're planning, you know, you're going to build this beautiful fire and you're going to sit around the fire and talk and eat lots of food and enjoy and stay warm, especially in the middle of the winter up here, you're building this fire. Oftentimes, most of the time, we underestimate how much fuel we need. Do you underestimate how much wood you need to build that fire? How much fuel you need? You know what else I think is interesting? Is that the quality of food matters. I'm sorry, the quality of fuel matters. The quality. You know, when you build a fire, what do you want to build it with? You want to build it with cedar or oak. You want to build it with a strong wood that's going to last and it's going to be a slow burn, right? It's going to take longer to burn. Well, what do you need? You need the quality of the word going in day in, day out. You need it going in on Sunday morning. You need to be in a church every week. You know, people underestimate how much fuel they need and they think they can lay out a church, you know, every, they can come every once in a while and be good. And then they get stuck in a pickle and they don't have enough fuel for the fire. And then the fire starts to dim. It starts to go out a little bit. And then they're going frantic trying to run around and, and stir, uh, kindle the flame again so that they don't get cold, right? So all that to say, don't underestimate how much fuel you need for the fire. You need the word of God. And you know what? I love this one. 
you need, uh, well, I'll tell you this. My pastor said this once and it just, I've never forgot it. I think it's one of the best things he's ever said. Well, this is my new pastor, my, my other pastor. You're my favorite pastor. Um, he said this, the quality of word you hear will determine the quality of life you live. Absolutely true. I can tell you, Jeremy, and I have heard the word, heard the word, heard the word, listened to the word, fed on the word, fed on the word for our whole marriage, our whole life, quality, quality word. And it has produced all of this for us. No way this would happen without the quality of the word of God. So we need fuel. Second of all, you know what else we need? You need oxygen. And I always, right when I thought of this, I just think about going over to the fire when it's just starting, the little embers flickering, floating around, just ready, ready to become a blazing flame. And you blow on that fire. You blow, it needs oxygen. You blow on that fire and all of a sudden it starts to get a little bigger. And then it spreads to some more, uh, it spreads and it hits the fuel some more, that wood and touches the other pieces and then it starts to become, get in, grow into a greater flame and a bigger flame. But the more you blow on it, it begins to, it needs to breathe. You know, they say when you're building a fire to not put so much heavy wood on it, you need to make sure that there's areas where the air can come through and flow through. We need to make room in our life for the moving of the Holy Spirit. We need to make room for the Spirit of God to breathe on us life. You can't be full of fire. You can't have a flaming. You can't have a flame that big and bright unless you have given time to the Holy Spirit in your life. How does that come? Uh, praying, praying in the Spirit. It also comes from praising and worshiping the Lord and giving Him glory, giving Him space, letting His presence fill up your life, letting, his, letting Him move and speak to you and give you a new assignment, letting Him breathe life into you. It's not just, this isn't just uh, by the book, uh, it's not just, um, you've got to let the Holy Spirit come in and work with the fuel. And the fire will begin to grow. I love this too. You also need heat. Have you ever seen these guys, these primitive guys that like to build a fire with actually two sticks? I, I mean, are these crazy people? I mean, how, I shouldn't say that. It's pretty cool, actually. It's pretty, it's, it's amazing to watch. But you know what? You got these two sticks and you are rubbing them together to create friction. And it's friction that produces heat that creates the coal that starts the fire. And so as I prayed over this, I thought about the friction that it takes. You know, you've got to put pressure on the word of God if you want to see it work in your life. What do I mean by that? You know, you've got to press into the things of God by faith. You can't just expect that everything's just going to fall on you. I've learned that about my life in God, that if I want God's best for my life, I have to press for it. And what is that? That's the friction. That's the, the I'm going to step out by faith. I'm going to put action to my faith. I'm going to get up and I'm not going to just let, sit over on the couch and watch the flames start to trickle and start to die off. I'm going to get my little rear end up off the seat. I'm going to go over to the fireplace and I'm going to stir up or kindle the flame. 
You have to put pressure on the word. It may seem like work on the flesh. That's what we're talking about with suffering, isn't it? It might seem like work on the flesh to get up and to create that rib resistance and rub that, those sticks together for that long. Those guys, they work on this for so long. I don't know what it is. I think it's because it make, makes them feel like a man. What do you think? Any women with me on this? Like, if you build a real fire without a match and without a lighter, you are really a man? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just guessing things. I don't think that's what makes you a real man, though. But if you rub those two sticks together for long enough, there's, they're going to create a coal, and it's going to start to burn, and then it's going to spread. You know, it takes a lot of patience You got to have some patience with that faith for this thing to really fire up. Thank you, Lord. You know, I was thinking about this. If I was cold in my house, say all the power had gone out, and I'm sitting over in front of the fireplace, just chilling. I have this pretty cool fireplace, y'all. It's like all, it's like my favorite place in the house. This stucco, I've got my Indian picture up on the uh, Geronimo, I don't know who he is, but he's a really cool picture. And um, I've got my terracotta. Like, I just like to sit over there and enjoy. It's like my favorite little spot. I got my favorite rug and my coffee table. And I just like to watch the flame. And sometimes Jeremy will build a fire and I'll sit over there and then it'll start to die down quite a bit. And as it dies down, I'm thinking, I really don't want to get up. I'm so cozy right now, you know, lazy. But if you think about it, okay, what if you spend all your time sitting and being lazy, refusing to get up, just bowing down, like just laying back. You never got up and rekindled the flame. And you, I called, you know, my brother Jordan or Courtney, and I was like, hey, can you guys come over and just like come rekindle this fire for me? I mean, I'm like a few feet from the fireplace, but I need you to come over. Can you come up and stir it up for me? Because I'm really tired today. I've had a long week. My kids are acting crazy. I don't know. I just really don't want to get up. I'm just too lazy. And I called them to come over and rekindle the flame. You know, this is what a lot of people are doing. They are blaming other people for being so cold and so dry and for being in the state that they're in. But Paul tells Timothy here, you get up, you stir up the gift. You put, you do everything you can to put life in the fire again. Amen. So how do we do this? How do we rekindle the flame? We take time. We, we put in, we don't underestimate how much fuel we need. We put the word of God. You, a lot of people will think we're crazy word people because we listen to the word day in, day out, all the time. We always have the anointed word going. We have the quality word going. They think we're crazy people because we write it up on our mirrors and on our refrigerators. Any of you do that? I'm the only one. Okay, well, the Bible says that if you put it, write the word up in your house and put it up and teach your children day and night that you'll live days of heaven on the earth. That's what I want, okay? Y'all want that? <laughs> okay, so we spend time in praise and worship. We let the Holy, we give room for the Holy Spirit to breathe on us, to breathe new life into us. We create space for God every day in our lives. And then also, we put pressure on the word. We put, we put action to our faith. We set out and we, um, we're not afraid to wait. We're not afraid 
to go the long hole, long suffering, we let patience have its perfect work as we kindle the flame, as we start the fire. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You know, I, um, I wanted to read you another passage. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 30, if you'll turn with me. One of my absolute favorite passages. And if you know me, I say that all the time about every passage in the scripture, right? Yeah, okay. You remember last time? I told you I love this scripture the most, but then I said I love the next scripture the most. I just love the word. This one is in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and it's the story of David and the Amalekites. Now, I wanted to start in verse 1, and we're just going to read a little bit, and I just want to show you how amazing God is in this passage. Now, it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag, and they burned it with fire. Interesting. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, and they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices, and they wept until they had no more power to weep. This is what you call extreme grief. Their family their wives and their children had been taken captive, kidnapped from them, taken to another land, all their goods stolen. This is extreme grief. It says in verse 5 that David's two wives, uh, Ahinoam, is that how you say it? And Jezreelit, yeah, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal and the Carmelite had been taken captive. Verse six, now David was greatly distressed. Have you been there? Have you been, not maybe in the same situation, but have you felt greatly distressed? For the people spoke of stoning him. There they go blaming him again because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and his daughters. They're blaming David for all their problems. This is the enemy's way. Blame the leader for all your problems. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Do you remember our Golden text for this series is out of 1 Peter 5.10. But may the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. David is in the middle of suffering. But there's the key word. David knows that he can't stay there. If he wants to go on with God, he has got to get up. He has got to get back up when he's been put down. Doesn't the Bible tell us that we have been struck down but not destroyed? David knows that he, has, he is facing major adversity. But in the middle of this, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of grief, in the middle of having something stolen from him. Now, when you've had something or someone stolen from you, the major temptation 
is to lie down and let it overtake you. When you've had your health stolen from you, when you've had a family member stolen from you, when you've had things from your home stolen from you, the temptation is to bow down to that, whatever that is, it's from the enemy, but that grief that comes with it, that sorrow that comes with it, the temptation is to bow down and just quit, to give up. But David, he started to rekindle something on the inside. Some translation says that he encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. What, how do you encourage yourself? How do you strengthen your own self in God? You begin to open up your mouth and you give him praise. You begin to open up your mouth and you give him thanks. You begin to worship the Lord. You begin to magnify the Lord. Don't we know David? He was a master of this. He wrote all of Psalm. And he began to strengthen himself in the Lord. Pretty soon as he strengthened himself in the Lord, he waited and he inquired of the Lord in verse 8 saying, Lord, shall I pursue this troop? Isn't it interesting when, the, when you rekindle the fire that there's always an assignment that comes with it? That assignment will stir you up to go on and to really live with a fire burning on the inside. It says this, that God spoke to him through the prophet and said, pursue, you shall surely overtake them without fail and recover all. And I love this. What does that mean? No matter what the devil has tried to steal from you, no matter what he has taken, no matter what it feels like, no matter the place of grief you're in, you can get back up. You can stir up the gift. You can go and you can recover all. You may not understand, how could I recover all? They're already gone. I don't understand. But the Bible says you can recover all. I love this. When Jesus came, he exposed. Oh, well, first of all, let me just tell you this. As they went on, they went, they went ahead and they, by faith, got up. David got up out of his sorrow. He could have had a pity party. You know, you're not yet over into the place of overcoming faith until you have turned your pity into praise. You're not there yet. You gotta stay in that place of praise and that place of worship and that praise of magnifying the Lord until you know you are strengthened up. You are strengthened up in the Lord and you can overcome. That's when you know you're no longer having a pity party, blaming other people for everything. You are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then you get up and you go on. The Lord spoke to me and he said this, Sarah, Powerless people lay down, but powerful people lay hold. And so David, he gets up and he's by faith, takes, puts one step in front of the other. And he starts to go on and he starts to pursue this troop. And as he goes on, he comes across, just happens to come across a guy who is from his enemy, from the, from the other enemy army, and tells them everything that's happened, goes and takes them and leads him right to the enemy. 
He goes into the enemy and it says in verse 17, David attacked them from twilight until the evening, till the next day, not a man of them escaped except for 400 young except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. I wrote here in the top of my notes, maybe it's the title, I don't know. We'll figure it out afterwards. But I wrote on here, rekindle and recover all. Rekindle the fire, rekindle the flame. Don't give up and recover all, get back up. I've had a sense, I told you this a couple, last week, maybe a couple weeks ago, that a lot of people have, have been hit hard this past year. Maybe it was from COVID or a loss of loved one. Maybe it was the enemy came against you with a sickness. I don't know, there's a lot of things, but I heard the Lord speak to me. I know my mom went to heaven this last year and the temptation is to go off almost in two a days. And I don't know where that comes from, but if the enemy can't knock you out, he'll try to knock you down. And he'll try to keep you from getting back up. But I heard the Lord say to me, Sarah, get back up. Get back up. Don't lie down, lay hold. David rekindled and then he recovered all. Even in the middle, he, he had that, that temptation to keep grieving. He stopped it. He stopped grieving and he got up and he put one foot in front of the other and he went after the enemy. He strengthened himself in the midst of suffering. He strengthened himself in the midst of adversity. He strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. If you know David, these are the kind of things that he would sing and say. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? Put hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Some translations say, why am I so discouraged? No, I put my hope in my God. He also is the one who said, God, you are the glory and the lifter of my head. David strengthened himself in the Lord. He praised and he worshiped. He inquired of the Lord until he got an assignment and a word, and then he got back up. You know, that fire on the inside of him, that rekindling, it put him, gave him direction. It put him back on course for the call of God on his life. Thank you, Lord. He rekindled and he recovered all. Proverbs 6.31 declares that the, when the thief is found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the sustenance of his house. Hey, you better believe that if the devil has stolen from you this year, you should get back up and go after the call of God on your life. And you should make sure that he has to pay for it for the rest of your life. Thank you, Lord. I have so many scriptures and I'm trying to decide where to go next because we're running out of time. You know, as I thought about this, the thing, some of the things that rekindle the flame, the word of God can do it. Prayer can do it. Praise and worship, giving the Holy Spirit room. Uh, a huge part of kindling the flame is using your memory, remembering the good things, the faithful things that God has done for you. Has he healed you before? He'll do it again. 
Has he set your feet on solid ground? He'll do it again. Has he given you wisdom? He'll do it again. Has he taken care of your family? He'll do it again. Has he provided for you when you needed, you needed something and you didn't have it? He will do it again. He is a faithful father. And you can use your memory. You know, another thing I thought about, and I, I, I don't know, guys, this is just, I feel like this is brand new to me, but I, I saw it this morning and I just want to share it with you. But one of the things that can help a, a fire burn bright is to cover it with a layer of ashes. There's, there's still life in, in those ashes. And um, there's, even though, you know, in, you think of, ashes being a picture of death, if ashes have the ability to reignite, and ashes, a layer of ashes can enable a fire, a fire to burn at a much higher intensity. As I thought about this, I realized, I thought about the Old Testament. When people were grieving and they were mourning, what did they do? They put on sackcloth and they covered themselves in ashes. And what was this a sign of? It was, it was a picture. Uh, they were grieving. They were mourning. And what else were they doing? They were repenting oftentimes. A tender heart of repentance will put life in the fire again. And as I thought about this, you know, the beautiful thing, and I just want to read you this scripture because I just think it's amazing. You may have had a time that you had uncontrollable grief, just like these people in David's time. You may have wept until you could weep no more. But because of Jesus, there's a prophecy in Isaiah 61. I want to read it to you. And it's the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And it's speaking of the time when Jesus would come on the scene. And it says this, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. What is that saying? Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, talking about that he read from this scripture. He read it and he said, this scripture is now fulfilled in your ears. That no longer would you have to put on sackcloth and ashes. No longer would you put that on a heaviness, but instead you'd have a brilliant garment. You could put on a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. And he says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. You know, you can't mope around your house all day and have a pity party and be upset and not walking in love, being unhappy and being faith. It just doesn't work that way. But you can put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. And this is what this is saying in this passage is this proof that I have on now a garment of praise instead of sackcloth and ashes. This proof, this is proof that I am now the planted of the Lord. What is that? Strengthened, settled, established, 
because I have been given because of Jesus. I can get up every day and put on a garment of praise. I don't have to mourn. I don't have to grieve. I can get back up. I can stand up. I can go on with God. And um, I just wanted to read you this. You know, I told you my mom had went to heaven this year. And I just, one of the ways that the Lord helps me process things and helps me break through and overcome is I sit down and I write. I write what's in my heart. And as I do, I don't know if it's just a thing between me and him. I get it out of my heart and I get it over on him. I cast my care. Or I get it out and he has me minister it to someone else. But one night I laid in bed at the very the first day of the year. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I'm giving you a choice. You can either, well, I'm just going to read this to you. And so I just wrote it down. And I think that it'll bless you because it'll be easy to understand. I said, my mom moved to heaven in 2021 and I had to say goodbye for a season. But thank God, not for long. She's been one of, the best, one of my best friends for the last 38 years, my greatest encourager. She taught me to never be a quitter, influenced me to seek first the kingdom, and she spent countless hours with me at the piano nurturing the call of God in my life. She wouldn't let me settle for anything less than God's best. I have not talked or written much about it because I've needed this time with the Lord, and I can tell you this, that he heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. He is also the God of all comfort, 2 Corinthians 1.3. And I will praise him forever for the way he has comforted me during this season. He has given me words, and he's visited me with dreams in the night that only he could give and that I will never forget. The Bible is true that somehow, by the grace of God, we don't have to sorrow like the world sorrows. We can have a peace that passes understanding. When we don't understand how we could have it, we, some do, we somehow do. In the beginning of this, the Lord said to me, Sarah, didn't I say to rejoice with those who rejoice? I realize that mom is currently consumed with the joy of heaven, doing nothing but rejoicing, loving and being loved, serving and getting ready for the marriage supper of the lamb, riding her bike and running on the streets of glory. <laughs> As for me, I have a choice every day to be self-aware and sad or to be heaven-aware and glad. I'm choosing to rejoice. See, when things don't go according to plan, when you've been hit hard or struck down, but the enemy can't take you out, his plan is to knock you down, to steal your joy, to blow out your flame, and to suffocate the heart right out of you. But the thing is, you and I, we're still standing. I've made the choice that I'm not giving up or drawing back in 2022. I'm pressing on. I'm going to get up every day, put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. I'm going to choose a praise party instead of a pity party. I'm going to spend my time loving God and my family and my church and my partners. I'm going to make some more music that gives God glory and brings life and takes people right into the throne of grace. I'm going to preach the good news and I'm going to see as many people healed and saved and comforted as I can. This life is the shortest thing that we'll ever do. You might as well live it to the fullest. I 
I've had a sense that many people this year have been hit hard. You've been struck down, but you're not destroyed. And God is saying, get back up. Put life in the fire again. We're not of those who draw back. Powerless people lay down, but powerful people lay hold. I'm declaring that 2022, for those of us who are going on with God, will be better than ever. Amen. Amen. So I just want to encourage you this morning, you can get back up. You can rekindle the flame. You can do everything you can. Put the word back in. Put, uh, get your next assignment from God. Let the Holy Spirit move and fan the flame. And I'm telling you what, you can get back on. You can get back up and go on. And if you'll get back up, God will use you. Here's the amazing thing about a fire is that when a fire burns, it's very hard to control it. It's very hard to contain it. And when it gets big enough, you better watch out because you will do great and mighty things for God. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text Legacy in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you and remember... You are always welcome here in the House of Faith.